Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the RPA podcast, The Player's Voice. I'm your host, Ethan Waller, and this month's episode is actually pretty timely for me personally, as I'm currently recovering from a shoulder operation. Cue tiny violin. Uh, we're going to be talking about coping with injuries and the impact that it can have on you throughout your career. Um, and I'm fortunate to be joined today by two former teammates. Uh, we have Matt Garvey, who's currently RPA Development Manager and uh, at Bath Rugby, and Niall Annett, who is also playing hooker down at Bath Rugby. So, hello, men. How are we? Niall, uh, we've been speaking a little bit just before this podcast started. You've you've embraced the sun over the last few days. Yeah, all about the UK having a heat wave just as pre-season starts. It's, uh, it's tough, but, you know, I'm I'm the best colour of red, you know, anyway. Normally, like December, fairly red. So when you bring like the thirty degree heat for preseason day one yesterday, I was in hell. But no, it's nice. Everyone seems to be in good form, and it's nice to be on here with you fellas, and nice to get a catch up. So thank you for having me. Pleasure to see you. And Gavs, how are you, mate? How's things? I know you were there watching the boys in hell over the last two days. Now said that you've been doing a, an an admirable amount of work over the last uh, the last day or so. Yeah, really good. Thank you, pal. Um, yeah, it's actually nice. I think it's um, Sunday night was was quite actually relaxing. I think the last 13 or so years when you dread that pre-season weighing or the body fat, it was quite nice to to walk in and see Niall sweating by the scales. So um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it's quite a nice relief just to sit back and watch the boys bake in the afternoon sun. I was going to say, you've been retired for a year now and obviously you've transitioned to your role at the RPA, which is one that we've spoke about on previous podcasts and, and how important it is. How, how have you found that transition, uh, moving away from the fitness, you know, on the field and, and being able to sit on the side with a nice iced coffee and, and watch the boys in hell? How's, how's that been for you? Uh, really easy, surprisingly. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's, I get to keep that interaction with the players, um, which is what I, something I think when I was going to retire, I was going to miss, um, you know, speaking to the lads on a daily basis, being forced into environment. But Surprisingly, I don't miss any of the playing or the training. The preseason at the moment is kind of, yeah, brilliant. I'm glad I retired a long time ago. So it's it's nice. But yeah, to speak to the players and people like you guys who I played with and alongside, it's nice to, to see on a daily basis. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really good role. Um, I just hope to pass on my experience and of what to avoid um, and what to do, really. I mean, you spoke pretty candidly. We did a, a series on social media with... Sean Romson about the transition and about the next stage and I mean it, like you say you found that you're, you're fortunate that in this role you can still have that relationship with players but was was this always the plan to to go into this space or was it something that you know you sort of the opportunity came up and you you jumped at? No it was I guess I mean this role is you know there's only a few fortunate people that get to do it um, I was coming to the end of my career and had a few injuries which I'm sure we'll talk about um, and then kind of just had that realisation that I haven't really prepared for life after rugby. So I used the next couple of years to kind of sort my, sort my future out. Um, and I was looking at a few different options, but it was going to be around the idea of wanting to help players out, you know, wanting to pass on the experience. I, I felt that as a player, I'd kind of covered every aspect. I've been an academy player, I've been a senior player, I've been a club captain, I've been injured, I've moved clubs, I had contracts taken away, I've been paid very generously. Um, but I just wanted to pass on that experience. And when this role came available, it was an opportunity that I had to jump at. Um, and hopefully Nala will back me up and say I'm doing a very good job at it. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. Um, <laughs> Niall, mate, how's, how's your summer been? This off-season, like you say, you're back in this week, but it's been a pretty pretty eventful off-season for you. You enjoyed it? Very much so. It's our first off-season with like a 
I mean, we our daughter's just about to turn twenty months, so it's the first off season we've had where she's like a hungry little person, and and it, she certainly determines a lot more of your time, and that's been a really enjoyable thing. But it's not kind of as easy to travel and get about. She's been in nursery, so traveling's not being um, as easy. They don't tell you that you pay for that up front. That's always something that they it's in the small print. They'll get you. Um, it does get you because then you're effectively paying for whether they're there or not. But um, we've had a really good one. You know, we're at that age as well where. Uh, your off season's full of uh, weddings, stags, um, and we had an absolutely fantastic five weeks with a couple of, of those, and we got home to see some family, which is always nice being um, away from them so much. And I think by the time it came round yesterday for day one to start, it was I was actually ready back to get back into the routine and the structure of it. Um, you know, pre-season's always going to be going to be tough and challenging, but I think this is number fourteen, and there's nothing that they can throw at you that you haven't really seen before. So. Um, Back back to the routine was was certainly welcomed, and uh, we yeah just just glad to be back in now. And I mean, we'll, we'll sort of we'll continue going back in time. Obviously, the off season there enjoyed yourself after after a, a, a pretty eventful first season at, at Bath as well. Some some massive highs, some some pretty big lows as well. But how, how have you found that first year there after being at you know Worcester for so long? Yeah, I needed it. You know, I I, I absolutely love my time at Worcester. The eight years there, met some of the best people I'd meet, and then unfortunately Garvey too. But I think you know, throughout <laughs> the the eight years, there was that I had my own highs and lows there. Um, but I just got to the point where I think that fresh challenge, that fresh stimulus, was something I just needed. It was it was then or never. Um, everything that's happened and transpired after that is so desperately unfortunate and and sad. And you know, we didn't know that was going to go the way things were. Um, but for me personally and individually and from a competitive nature I just needed that kick and I needed that challenge and the move to Bath certainly being a, an enjoyable one like you said it didn't start particularly well um, <clears throat> you know with a few indiscretions but we found a rhythm towards the mid part of the season and um, the team itself we could feel that we were getting better and progressing even though a lot of people maybe couldn't have seen it or feel it we could I think towards the end of the season, we showed a little bit more about what we're about and that we're heading in the right direction. So it's an exciting pre-season for us this year because we get to kind of kick off um, from where we left off. We'll have a lot of guys away with international duties, but it's going to be a season where we need to kick on and we need to get better. And um, I'm certainly really enjoying being down here. Brilliant. Well, that was a very positive. I like it. Nice positive spin on things. And now this conversation is going to get slightly less positive as we talk about some of the darker <laughs> stuff in rugby and what this podcast is really about, which is injuries. And, and you know, out, out of the three of us, I don't think any of us are really strangers to those those big injuries. And, and they've been present throughout all of our careers. But I suppose, I, guys, I'll start with you. Um, because Niall, I know that your your injury this is something that I specifically want to get get to and talk about. But but guys, what what were your earliest memories of the, of, of a big injury when you were younger? What 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 was your history like in terms of the, in terms of that? I mean, I t- I came to rugby quite late. Um, when I played football until I got seventeen. So what everything was about? Yeah, I know. I've and seen we, you play football. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. You played centre back for Chelsea. <laughs> People think I was Fabian Bartes in goal at one point, but yeah, too tall. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, so all my used, my previous injuries were like kicks to the shin and stuff like that. And it, when I started playing rugby and picked off, that's when the collision started taking taking effect. And my first, I guess my first real injury was was at Irish when I was just breaking into the team and um, we played Munster away and I got a, quite a serious neck injury. Um, didn't realise it until the next morning, kind of away in, I think it was uh, at Tomlin Park, 
had a few had a few glasses afterwards, but ended up being like a a rush back, um, an operation split over four, two operations split over four weeks, um, resulting in a titanium disc in my neck, um, which was pretty severe. But again, you, it all happened so fast. It was kind of just when you returned to the club and you realised that you're just on that momentum kind of going from a youngster into a starting team for a Champions Cup to you've almost fallen fallen off the ride and you're, and you're back at the bottom level again, um, which was pretty tough. Um, but it was, I guess it was getting injured then compared to getting injured now was kind of different. It's kind of quite old school. Um, and you kind of just had to, you know, just had to crack on with it, really. Um, you didn't really know what to do. You had your physio, you had your rehab, and you just you just didn't really moan because you were young and you, and you kind of cracked on with it, which was part of why I thought it was important that we talk, we talk about the injuries part was because of how different it was then to probably what we were used to, to what players are now. Um, but yeah, that was that was probably my first one. Um, which was yeah pretty horrific in terms of the the sensation going from my neck down to my hands um, and bits like that. But yeah, it was wasn't the easiest of times. Um, but that compared to being injured ten years later, you'd handle it completely different. If that makes sense. So how expand on that for me a little bit? So so how did you handle it back then? I know like you say it was very much more of a culture of sit down, crack on, get it done. Yeah, I mean like the. the I mean, like I said, I've had I had seven operations when I played, and that was my first one. Um, and back then, you just kind of, I guess there wasn't too much sports psychology back then. That was kind of that was kind of new to rugby. Um, and you kind of had your treatment, you did your rehab, um, and you just cracked on with it. And it was kind of just you just followed what the other injured boys did, I guess. Um, and nowadays, I mean, I remember being he was my last year at Bath. It was me and Henry Thomas, and we were probably I don't know on our fifth or sixth operation at the time both just sapping in the gym having a laugh knew how to handle it used it as an opportunity just to I don't know be proactive for their upper body rest their lower body whatever it was just kind of moan sap have a coffee laugh at the other lads and that was how we survived but there was a young hooker um, and he was injured with us it was his first injury and he kind of said to us walking back one day he was like how do you you know how do you cope with injuries and we both just turned to him laughed and just said just, just crack on and we walked off and it wasn't until about half an hour later I turned to Henry and I thought, mate, that's probably not the right thing to have said. You know, we are from a different generation where he did just do that. But now players are asking for a bit more support, a bit more help. And how do we do that? How do we offer? Who can offer support? And how do we rally around each other and support our teammates in some of the darkest times in their career, I guess? I think it's interesting because I've I've been pretty fortunate in that every group that I've been involved in, whenever there's been someone who's had a long-term injury, it's been a very good environment. The first thing that said when there's an injury is, you know, make sure you get round him. People are constantly looking to make sure you're still a part of the family and you're still a part of the the, the socials, the the interaction. Because it, it can be a lonely place when everyone else is out on the training field. You're not necessarily going to meetings. You're sat in the gym by yourself. You're coming and doing physio at pretty un- unsociable hours. It's a hugely difficult thing to manage. And I, uh, I mean, would you say that 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 now, towards the end of your career, was a lot better from that point of view, from the from a inclusivity point of view? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, when you when you're younger, you kind of just go with the flow, I guess. Um, well, I certainly did. And like you touched upon it then that your schedule isn't the most kind of effective way of being inclusive. You know, you're the the boys that are fit are in the gym, and you're in the physio bed. And then they go out into the pitch, then you go into the gym. And then they're showering and you might be doing, I don't know, an exercise somewhere else or you never really cross over. So you might see each other for 10 minutes at lunch and at the end of the day. But I guess when you're 
when you're a bit more experienced or you've spoken to the right people, you've got the right support, you can almost tailor make your tailor make your sessions or yourself to be more more around the players. You know that. Oh, can I? You know, can I? Can I do my rehab next to the pitch, or I can watch the boys train, or I can, you know, I can do some my stretching sessions there. Or so you want to be around the lads, you want to be involved because you can be quite guilty of it yourself of just fall into the trap of being isolated. You know, when when you're together, when you're playing, or you're in the 23, or you're in, you know, the fit that fit 40 that are training together, it's easy to kind of take yourself out of it and, and feel a victim. Um, but it's really important. I, I, I felt, I mean, Noel, you might agree that you keep yourself involved, whether it's with the analysis or in the review groups or the preview groups that you're, you're helping towards the team just to try and stay involved any way you can. Yeah, I mean, it just, just touching on that, I think you're absolutely spot on. Guys, I feel like <clears throat> it's, some, it's a term I've used before and I don't use it in a sensational, sensationalised sort of manner, but there's like a grieving process when you get those kind of long-term significant injuries. And I think players need to be allowed to have those. Some of the best environments I've seen, they're encouraged to get away before major operations or they have a major operation and, and they, they fit in that time away from the club because what ends up happening is you're dissociated from all the normality that you used to. So, you know, being in the same room before a pitch session, you know there's music on, you know, Garvey's in the middle, tripping up people. You might even be... Um, in between sessions, there's a game of like, like in a change room, there's a game of cricket going on or whatever it is, and you basically find like, like Garvey said, I couldn't have put it better. You you basically ghost around the facility, um, and you miss everything, and and that's just the nature of it because, um, you know the trainers and the physios are trying to fit everybody in, they're trying to make sure when you're in there, you're it's concerted training to make yourself better. But I, you know, I feel like in the best environment, they have this ability to keep those players who are, who are separated integrated in some forms and guards you touched on it you know we've seen it before where long-term injured players they get involved in social committees you know granted they're not going to be leading the charge at social maybe in the infancy of their of their rehab but towards the end of that there's no reason why they can't be organizing meals out or they can't be organizing beers at a pub or whatever it is or being involved if they are interested in rugby and you know you're going to have contradicting personalities there's some people who get injured and they go okay no rugby that's me thank you and and that has to be respected and then there'll be people who are quite involved in it and it helps their process of healing mentally and physically so I think like as professional rugby's changed in my time personally you know coming from Ireland to England I feel like rugby clubs have got a massive there's a massive bonus on them to look after these players you know we know we're commodities to some degree we understand that we're here to do a job if we don't perform well or we're injured there's probably another piece of meat somewhere who's going to come in and do that job instead of us. And rugby clubs have got a, there's a massive bonus on them to not just treat you like that commodity when you're at your lowest, which is normally when you're injured. They have to they have to look after, respect, and care for the people. So I think there should be rules within rugby clubs. You know, I was lucky, and I'm sure we'll get to a piece, but I had an injured physio, an injury physio, and an injury injury FNC coach. Who, who literally just worked with injured players during my time of, of long-term injury. And I find like that was a really important role. But you now you see with the budgets being reduced, you know, are those rules going? Is that something that really is a, is a strength and conditioning coach doubling up now and doing the first team fit available players and also the injured players? And do they get the service and treatment they need? That concerns me. So I think rugby clubs have a, they have a due diligence to make sure those injured players are, are looked after when they're, when they're honestly, they're at their worst, they're, they're at their lowest. So, it's an interesting conversation. I think it's a, a huge point. Uh, we had um, Rob Shotton on here a couple of episodes ago from Looseheads, and we were talking about that mental fitness and and how do you rate yourself one out of ten uh, mentally every, every single day. And I think that's necessarily a, a, 
an aspect that's overlooked as well. But no, I think you've hit the, the, the nail on the head there, hugely. That that still being as though you're a valued member of the team when you're at your lowest is something that will hugely give you that motivation going through. And and I think it sort of, it, it brilliantly brings us on to to your injury story, really. And and this is a pretty isolated one, obviously, from, from my experience with you. But when I joined Worcester, you were coming back from an injury um, and then had a pretty torrid time of it. But I, I'll let you tell the story. Can you just walk us through that, that 18 months of yours? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, listen, it's not um, it's not abnormal. It happens. People have cluster injuries. It ha- and, and unfortunately, I did a single motion in a match against Northampton, actually, against UBC. Um, just the traditional rugby mechanism injury, not you. Uh, you it probably would have gone even worse if you'd landed on me. But <laughs> Only if you were playing the last 10 minutes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we uh, just a traditional rugby injury. These things happen. Incident Moses back. Um, and I was back within about 10, 12 weeks. It was a really smooth rehab. But, and I got back to playing and then I had a vestibular concussion in my ear where my balance was really distorted and I struggled massively with um, the whole thing around concussions so ray and very difficult and they were really careful with me and we took our time coming back because anyone who actually does know me like I can be a bit of an overthinker and this is a this was a concern for me you know so we took our time from that I came back I was feeling fit healthy uh, that turned around for um, pre-season. I got excited in pre-season. I went and I tried to do some touch games with some of the staff. And I had a significant hamstring tendon tear, um, which I've never been so sketchy in my life. Like the analysts and everyone there were like, you can't tell them you were playing with us. Like we had so much trouble. And that took time. You know, that was like another eight in that 10 months. And then uh, eight, 10 weeks, sorry. And then I don't know where. The biggest of all, like I save it for um for last, it was like an ACL in training, completely um no one really near me. Me and DJ wrestling on a pad. I just put my foot down and I felt the click. So before you know it, there's eighteen months of a rugby career spent effectively in and out. You know, when I say in, I was like I was back for a week to maybe maximum two weeks and I basically yo yoed around it for about eighteen months with these injuries and um I felt at times throughout that so unbelievably isolated. I felt like my worth as a rugby player was at its lowest simply because I couldn't contribute. And that's why I mentioned that the club's onus on encouraging these people to feel valued. And that's not easy because they're dealing with baggage. And I use that term grieving, not not to be, um, you know, like I said, sensationalize it. But I uh, had some massive, massive struggles throughout that period. And I think what what you learn from, from getting through that is is some real brilliant resilience. But at the time, basically, like, honestly, it was it was tough. Well, I remember, because I remember coming in, and I think it's interesting that you say uh, that you felt so isolated, because from a, a, a fresh, yeah, a bit of fresh meat coming in, essentially, you were a massive part of that environment, even even with the injuries. Like, you could tell there was there was no one who didn't know you. All the new lads that had come in were very friendly with you, and you were, you were a constant presence around the place. And maybe, like you say, that's down to... Having that 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 specific physio, that specific S and C, so you weren't necessarily isolated all the time. But even from my perspective, it doesn't seem it. But from yours, who was you know a relatively outgoing guy, it still felt isolated. So there must be some players who aren't necessarily as, as outgoing as as yourself or as involved who must really find times like that difficult. I mean, what what were your what were your best coping strategies throughout that that eighteen months? So funny, you know, there, there'll be things that, you know, I've talked about before, but like, unless you've heard me talk about it, you wouldn't believe it. Like, I had an amazing girlfriend who uh, became my fiance throughout that period, um, who was a massive leaning point for me 
And then we had a small dog called Benji. He was like a Schneider Poodle Cross. I had this dream of having a big Alsatian and eating beef, but her allergies stopped that straight away. But I, if I told you that my my partner and my dog like carried me through periods of that, you know, particularly the ACL, I was dealing with some off-field stuff around my old man being like, like seriously ill and eventually passing away. You know, I remember um, him passing away it would have been just after, just before I had my ACL surgery. So you're dealing with all these things external. You know, I was so lucky that I had Gareth um, and Reese as my as my physio and trainer, and they put they 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 basically sheltered me, looked after me. They gave me strategies that would work for me personally. I remember having this checklist that. Um, you know, it was something as stupid as like an ACL recovery. People will tell you I had like uh, a double leg bodyweight squat. I had running in the pool. I had all these micro tick box ticking exercises that I had to get through. But every day I could come in and I could tick something or I could work towards something. And that was a massive coping mechanism for me with my personality. But I think largely, you know, my friends, like, like you would have been at that stage beef and a few other guys and my partner and dog just carried me for there was periods where I'd come in and I'd look at the two trainers and I'd be like you know someone like me like I've opened like I love I love my job I really do like there's very few days I come in and I'm not motivated but there was days I came in through that period and I was like I just don't have it today and they'd be like okay well we'll adjust this slightly or we'll um we'll do this today and we'll do that tomorrow and they, they would find ways to carry me and I think that's the thing you know there's days you come in and you're like an eight out of ten and you're like okay I actually feel like I'm headed the right direction. And then you'll have a small setback with the injury or a coach will walk past you and not say hello to you or forget your name or whatever it is. And you'll be like, okay, now I'm a three out of 10. And you need to rely on people through those periods that that's whenever the, the term community within a rugby club really um, rings true. And if it's a proper community, people will get looked after. But unfortunately, I've seen you know too many people not and too many people have just left to be isolated. Yeah, and that that mental health aspect side of things, it's something that you know, in in some aspects of every podcast we've had so far this year, we we've come back to it because it's becoming such a massive thing, quite rightly, in the sport. Um, but I don't think it's ever more prevalent than than when we're talking about injuries. This, as you said, that that journey's never linear. It's never just a straight upward curve of, of things going well. You'll get one day you'll get doms and maybe you'll you'll twin something again. And it sets you back a week or two. Uh, I remember coming back from my my shoulder operation uh, the year after, and the my first game back fit. I've done my hit pointer. I'm out for another three, four weeks. And then you suddenly lose your opportunity to get back in. And it's a constant battle. But it's, it's how do we include those people who won't go out there, go out themselves, those those introverted players, which there are a lot of. How do we get, get through to them? Yeah. Sorry, but if I don't mean to interrupt, but it, and this is something I feel passionately about. You know, I believe in this day and age, especially, uh, you know, you look, at the, <laughs> you look at the generations of people that you see come through the game, you know, Kids nowadays are different to how we were, you know. They and I'm I'm not labeling myself quite as old as you, but they are they're different and they need different management. So I think the progression for coaches nowadays, like really good modern coaches, have the ability to do strong man management with those people, even though they're not throwing a line out, catching them all, uh, catching a line out, you know, sacking them all, making tackles, kick goal kick, even though they're not doing direct correlated results to on a Saturday or Sunday, they have the ability to find the moments to have good management over those, particularly those injured players. And um, so the coaches have to be able to show that sort of skill nowadays or else um, what, you, what you're left with is just very, very sad people and in difficult positions. 
And I think both of you hit this point slightly when you've said it, but I guess during those periods of, of those injuries and, and especially the more severe ones, at any stage was there a loss of identity for you? I mean, I, I feel like I probably know the answer to this, but you know, how do you cope with that that loss of identity? You are you are the rugby player. You are the person who's going to be going out there, like you say, throwing a line out, sacking them all, and suddenly you're resounding to the gym and the physio bed. How? How do you cope with that sort of that loss of who you are? Is it is it off field, or is it like you say? No, your your specific one was that checklist and, and getting through that. Guards, I'll, I'll go back to you, mate. Yeah, no, I think it's yeah, it's it's certainly tough because you know we've all kind of touched on it. Rugby's such a bubble; you get caught up in it because it's such a short turnaround. Every week you get like Monday to Saturday, and then you go again, and you go to Monday to Saturday, and you get you kind of get caught up in it and. You lose perspective of, of what is kind of the real world, should we say? You know, civilian life, and all of a sudden you, that gets taken away from you, um, and you're put back. You, you know, your goal setting is no longer do we win on Saturday. It's now what's four weeks away, six weeks away, and you are no longer the rugby player. You're the you're the rehabber. You know, and that could be could be twelve weeks, it could be six months, it could be nine months, depending on what it is. Your eighteen months is you know on and off. As not touched upon, and it's tough. I mean, I had one. I mean, I, I came to Bath and had a really good first year. Um, did my ankle ligaments? Did three months of rehab. Um, came back two minutes in my first preseason game. Didn't have the op, and then three uh, two minutes to the first preseason game. Boom, ankle went again. Mm-hmm. Boom, right operation this time. Another th- another four months. Um, so it's that repetitive issue, and you come back, and it's kind of like seven months since you last played. Your position's now been cemented by another player. At that time, I think it happened to be, well, it's just signed a, some guy from the other side of the world, I think called Sam Burgess. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, you know, quite a big name, big superstar. He was now talking about going from 12 to 6, which I, where I was playing. And all of a sudden, you're not the number 6 everyone talks about. Someone else is talking about that shirt. And it's kind of like, what do I do now? And much like now, like I had, I had my other half at the time. Um, who was, you know, the rock, the support I'd always go home to. But then I started taking my frustrations from the club home to home life and not in a bad way, but I'd be miserable or I'd be sulking. I wouldn't be able to switch off. Um, and then I guess it was the the turning point for me was I went and saw a, a mind coach, um, Don McPherson in, in Bath. And I was a real skeptic. I was kind of like, I've never used the sports psychology before. This is not really for me. You know, there's as skeptical as you can be, like, when you see a hypnotist on TV, you're like, that one happened to me sort of thing. I was, but I was like, what have I got to lose? Um, and I went and saw him and it was kind of like, wow, light bulb moment. You know, you put things in perspective. What was important to me? What was important? How do we get back? Um, and I watched him for years. Um, and then I went, we moved on to, with Bath, we moved on to a different sports psychologist, Katie Warner, who was amazing. Um, but it wasn't because of that that instant chat that I had with Don that opened up my eyes to how I should be looked after. You know, you look, we look after our bodies so much in rugby, you know, we do our stretching, we do our prehab, you do, you know, you do your warm-ups, warm your cool-downs, but I guess your head is another part of it is about how do you maintain who you are when you're not playing rugby? You know, are you, are you the father? Are you the brother? Are you the son? Are you a teammate? Are you, you know, a support network for, for your other half? There's much more to it than just, just being a rugby player and it's, are people aware of that? You know, sometimes it takes two, it takes a serious injury for you to realise that when actually, you know, your your best teammate might be injured and he might need you to be his support pillar. Um, but until that moment happens to you, I don't think we realise it quick enough. And 
we talk about generation thing, I think it was Nigel said about it, is that we're finding out now is that there's coaches now are, are players of that generation. You know, you've got Science and Sal, Wiggy at, at Leicester, Skibbs at Gloucester. You know, they are players that came from that generation that there's almost a two-pronged approach. One, we need to learn how to deal with injuries, but others need to learn how to cope with injuries, cope with players that are injured. That makes sense, teammates. Um, and how how do we support how do we support others that we weren't necessarily supported as if that makes sense? No, I think you've articulated that really well. And it's it I've always found, I mean, just just my two cents in it as well. I, I'm fortunate that my biggest injuries have normally been elective. So it's been elective to get my my shoulders up to the end of season um and the hanging gave me a little toe that Definitely wasn't gout. It was turf toe. Uh, too much red wine and cheese. It'll get you. No one's safe. <laughs> um, so, so uh, mine. I've always managed to be in a relatively good headspace around it, which which I'm extremely fortunate with. But even so, you know, it's, you're not immune to to going through pretty tough spots with it. But I think the biggest thing for me was was always having something else to focus on in one way or another. When I when I did my toe, it was uh, I, I was doing a maths degree at uni. Um, when I did my shoulder the first time, but you know, as you can see, like, educated, I that's it, I doing me. it. Correct, relatively. <laughs> um, when I did my first shoulder, I was starting up a, a, a pizza business, so I was spending my time when I had mobility in my arm uh, doing up a trailer with Nile. Actually, he helped me with a lot of the manual labour when I couldn't do it, uh, and. You know, th- this time around, I've got a few other business interests that I'm I'm putting a lot of time into. So f- for me, having that external something is always, I mean, throughout the seasons, I've always felt it's made me a better rugby player because it's not made my identity as just Ethan, the rugby player. But it's also something else to focus on when that those dark periods come and it doesn't become all-encompassing. It gives you a release. It gives you an out from rugby. So it's not what you're thinking about all the time because it's so hard to step out of. I completely agree, but I think like if you if I reflect on it all and listen to you guys, like um, the main concerns when you get injured: am I going to get back playing? Will I be the same player? Am I going to get a contract? These are the things that go through players' heads, you know. Especially when you have Garvey, like you said, those long term periods out where you're like even either doubt even within you, you know, even if it's two percent, it's two percent you didn't have before when you felt bulletproof and you were playing every week. So how do we eliminate that? We I am a big believer that rugby players are, are, are their best or at their best when, when rugby is not just 100%. And that's coming from someone, Beefy, who I know you'll... Like, I'm fanatical about it. Like, I love my job, as I mentioned. You know, the game's given me a huge amount and I'm very passionate about it, but it still can't just be Nile, the rugby player, or Beefy, the rugby player, or Garvey, the rugby player. It has to be, how are you how are you developing yourself away from that? And, you know university is or isn't for everybody degrees is or but like I've seen guys get injured and go and do sparky uh, go and become like level one sparky level two sparky anything like that that you feel like you're developing your life away from rugby for that transition that we all eventually have to make I personally believe makes you a better rugby player because the shackles come off you know if we can get to the point where eventually you take hands of the game and you say okay this is the time the, the market's never been more flooded for obvious reasons there's a lot of rugby players out there bloody good rugby players and if the time comes and that's it you know you the transition and the anxiety that you have about moving into the real world as we call it in inverted commas you know i believe that makes you play better rugby and the things that you've done beef with your time you just you've got to try and get people to be proactive and and, and find the best in this rubbish scenario 
Um, and that's the advice that I give any of the young boys. I'm not saying to them, like, oh, you have to do degrees, you have to do this. Just find, like, like what do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy doing landscaping? Okay, well, maybe there's someone somewhere that can, you can, we can, you can do a little bit of learning through that. You could, as you physically develop and start to feel better, you can start to do a little bit. House projects are always a big one of rugby players because we all think we're properly moguls. You know, there's stuff out there for you to develop and become more rounded. And um, I believe it helps your recovery. I believe it helps your mind. It, it, the anxiety around like what does Nile or Garvey or basically the non rugby player look like and it helps your performance so it's a it's a massive massive point beef and something I think that people just need to be braver with it's, it's about having the bravery to be like okay this is going to end at some point what am I doing with my time yeah completely agree with you and I guess we're, we're nearing the end here so I'll, I'll sort of I'll round us off by and I suppose now you've, you've, you've more or less covered it there but from each of you, if you were to give your younger self a piece of advice at the start of these big long-term injuries, nutshell it for me, what would it be? Gavs? I mean, without being too long-winded, I mean, I was probably the opposite to you two. I was very, I wasn't proactive outside of rugby at all. Um, and sitting here now, I, I'm preaching that you should be, and I wish I had. Um, you know, I was, I had that, I told you before, that I had an injury in my career where I thought it was game over. I was told at one point it was possible it could be game over. Um, but now I mentioned it then, you know, doing things alongside rugby is for me what you, every player should be doing. It it gives you an identity away from the game. If the game's taken away from you or for permanently or temporarily, um, it gives you focus and it also gives you peace of mind that when rugby does come to the end, because it comes to the end for everyone, it's just a question of when, is, that, is your life sorted afterwards? Because if your life's sorted away from the game, you can be more relaxed and you can focus on the weekend. You can focus on the Saturday and the following game. And, you know, you can just, you can focus on being the rugby player for that short period of time. But if you can focus, focus on your life away from rugby as much as you can as well, I think that makes you a better rounded person and a better rounded player. Um, yeah, I guess that's my, my, me in a nutshell. I think I would allow myself a little bit longer to go through that grieving process, that post, that period of, uh, just like sadness, you know, where you're like, again, or uh, you're dealing with all these things. I would have probably, I, I threw myself into rehab really quickly, probably too quickly. It was a coping mechanism at the time. I'm glad I did it because my knee's in good shape, but just allow yourself time to, to feel what it is that you want to feel. And then when you've got that out of your system, and normally someone else sees it, you, you can start the process of healing physically, mentally. Um, and then the only other thing, just the echocardiography, is just, Try and be rounded, and that, and I mean that like genuinely. Just try and have more to than just being a rugby player, and that's coming from someone who, as I've said, you know, it, it's it's been the best job I'll ever have. But there's no reason why you can't find something else that you're passionate about. You've got time. You've more than likely got the finance, um, and allow yourself the space and time within it within a week to just try and develop yourself. What about you, Beef? You're hosting it, but you're obviously a, you've been a player for years yourself. What would you? What would be your one? I think I, I'd echo the point of, of have something outside of rugby that you can focus on. That was the biggest help for me. Again, might have been lucky because I knew they were coming, and it's it's something you can probably handle a lot better when you know that that it, that it is going to come. But also just surround yourself with good people. If you've got a support network and you've got a good group that you are close with at the club. Go out of your way to to be around them. I know it's difficult during the during the day when you're like you say that we use that term ghosting, just ghosting around the place. But stick around a little bit after training, sit there, have a coffee, 
bring some cards in, play some play some Monopoly deal during the morning, during the afternoon, and just continue to have that social interaction. For me, I'm I'm quite a social being. It was one of the massive things I struggled with in lockdown. Um, I mean, myself, Niall, and a few of the other lads are having a Zoom once a week uh, just to <laughs> just just to chat. I've still got minutes from all those conversations. Oh, oh, yeah, more than anything else. And I think when when you're as social as as I am, having a, a group of people around that you can talk to and, and just be open with and candid, much like you two have been today, and be able to have these conversations without fear of judgment, without fear of, of anything, um, is hugely, hugely beneficial and will help keep that top two inches in the best place it can be when you're staring down the barrel of, you know, sort of um, an undefined period of time. But nice. Do you want to, uh, Gav, do you want to, do you want to do the sign off as well? You want to take over the hosting? No, I, mean, I just, I just want to make sure. No, you've no got please, your, you do sign it. Basically, what you're saying is, thanks. No, I just, thanks. can I just say one more thing though? Just obviously, as, a, as my role as a, as a player development manager now, um, we're all mental health first aiders. We're all there to chat. I'm actually, you know, I work with, a, I'm very fortunate to work with a great team that are keen to help players anyway, on and off the pitch in any way we can. So, if there's any point that any player is struggling or is there a point that any player wants to help, please come and see us. You've got our numbers, whatever you need, get in touch. Come, you know, we'll, we'll take you for a coffee, whatever we need, but we're here to help. So don't be a stranger. I think that is probably the perfect sentence to end this on. So uh, thank you very much for listening. This is the end of this episode of The Player's Voice. Nylanet, Matt Garvey, Lads, thank you so much for your time and just being so open and, and candid about everything. I know it's not necessarily an easy subject um, to talk about, but you two have been very, very helpful. And I think if if one person listens to this, one player is going through a rough injury time and, and can help themselves get through it, we've done our job. Um, and as we say, any players that are listening, your player development manager is available if you ever are going through any tough times mentally. Um, but again thank you for listening as always we want to hear off you so if you have any topics that you want to hear us speak about or have any questions just tweet us using the hashtag the player's voice thank you again see you next time